Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 285 being recorded on Thursday, January 20th, 2022. That's a heck of a lot of twos. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason Scott Show listeners. Jason, it's kind of a shame we neither of us were able to make it to NRF, but... um. One of the things I don't miss is every year uh, that I've gone to NRF for the last three times I've went, uh, I've had trouble getting there or been stuck there. So uh, I think the NRF should use this opportunity to move that show out of January and maybe look at something like March or something if they're going to be in New York. Or to the like Bahamas or something. Yeah. Oh, even better. Yeah. Let's make it a, a destination event. Uh, you know, you have my vote. I'm not sure you have a majority of votes, but you, you, you have mine. That would be awesome. Yeah, I was watching and, um, it seemed like some folks went and then they had a lot of cancellations. So it seemed like it was in kind of one of those weird, you know, hybrid states where, uh, if you went and then the person you were going to go see present canceled, you sat there in a room with people watching a zoom. So that's never super satisfying. But I do think uh, it seemed like some folks you and I know got together and had some dinners and had fun. So so hopefully that was that was good for everyone. Yeah, I had a little bit of FOMO. I, I think, uh, you know, uh, some people I would have liked to see, you know, I, I saw, you know, social media of them getting together and whatnot. And uh, it's just super bad luck. I have a feeling if this show was a month later, it would be a lot less uh, controversial to travel to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, what did you want to talk about this week? Yeah. Um, well, you know, w- if we had gone to NRF, one of the things that uh, I always like to do at NRF is kind of check in uh, with a lot of our coworkers in the industry and kind of, you know, get a consensus about how the year ended up for everyone and what they thought the big issues were going to be for 2021. Um, so since we didn't get to do that at shop uh, at NRF, I thought maybe uh, we could do it on this podcast for all our listeners. Yeah, that sounds good. And then um, I know you always put together a little uh, for your clients, kind of the uh, summary uh, uh, deck. And I know that's hard for our podcast listeners. So do you have a way to solve that? Yeah. So what I thought I would do, I put together like a 36 slide deck, uh, completely full of numbers. And what I thought I would do is describe all of the graphs on the podcast. Does that sounds good? <laughs> that sounds good, and it's yeah. going to be a. Uh, and we'll go through it in intricate detail, data yeah. point by data. Yeah, point. because the one complaint I get about this show is that it's not hard enough to listen to. <laughs> that's uh, that's from your mom. Yeah, so that probably isn't going to work. But here, so here's what I did think I, I do: like instead of just charging the fortune that we charge clients to go through this presentation, I thought I would make a version of the whole deck available to all our listeners. Um, so. In the event you do want to follow along with the visuals and see the actual data, uh, we will put a link in the show notes. You can hit pause for a second. Uh, you can open up the deck, and I will tell you what slides we're talking about in case you want to follow along. Um, but, but uh, Scott, keep me honest here. We'll try to make sure um, we're talking about it in a way that you can kind of just 
just listen along on the podcast and then look at the deck later if that's the way you prefer to do it. Yeah, this is a good time. If you like receiving awesome decks uh, for your subscription here, which is essentially free, uh, this is a good time to hit the five-star review. We always appreciate that. And yeah, because we because this is a audio medium, we are going to paint pictures with our words and you will see the slides um, form before your very eyes, almost like augmented virtual reality. We're going to take you to the metaverse on this thing. Exactly. It's the metaverse deep dive into retail in 2021. Um, and let's, let's jump right into it. Um, so super quick recap. Uh, last week, the U.S. Uh, Department of Commerce published, published their December, uh, advanced data. So that gives us the last month of data we need to see the whole year. So it's super exciting, uh, for all of us data geeks because we now have a complete set of data. The one thing to remember is uh, it's an advanced look, and so it doesn't have the granularity of categories that we would like. And one of the categories it doesn't have is e-commerce, um, which is highly unfortunate. So the the deep dive for the whole year with uh, e-commerce broken out will actually be available in mid-February. And that's also when they publish their quarterly um, their Q4 e-commerce data, which is a separate report. So, so we have most of the interesting facts. There may be a couple things that, that filter in last, uh, next month. But, uh, the top line, if we add up all retail sales for 2021, uh, we sold, uh, uh just over $6.6 trillion of stuff last year, um, which is 18% growth over 2020. And uh, it's 22% growth over 2019. And so uh, if you do have the deck and you were looking at slide four, I show you the last 30 years of growth. And the thing that will stand out at you is uh, that this year's growth is, uh, is almost double the average growth we've had in any of the last 30 years. So unprecedentedly good year. Yeah. And this is all retail. We're not talking e-commerce at this point. Yeah, this is this is pure retail. We'll, we will uh, double click in into e-commerce a little bit later. Um, and, you know, reminder, there's a lot of controversy about what the definition of retail is. And so you'll see millions of different numbers out there. And it's because uh, one one data set has automobiles in it and one has doesn't one has gas in it and one doesn't. You know, there are all these different things. I'm using the unadulterated numbers from the the U.S. Department of Commerce. So it does include automobiles. It does include gas. It does not include restaurants. It's what we call NAICS code 44,000. Ooh. Yeah. Um, Good old code at 44,000. Yeah. If anyone wants to catch me offline and ask for like a different spin, I'm happy to talk about how the numbers change when you change your definition. But I think that's too complicated for for the podcast. But so uh, before I go any further... Uh, like, is that, does that surprise you at all? Has, is that, has that been your perception that these are monster year, that 2020 and 2021 were monster years for retail? Because I, I feel like that's not necessarily the narrative we, we've been getting in some of the commerce media. Yeah, no, it feels that is a surprise. It makes sense. Uh, and I'm looking at the slide, but it, it makes sense that we were effectively spring loaded, right? Because, um, you know, we had the shutdown, people really, you know, couldn't or didn't buy things from March 20 through. And, and so there was pent up demand, but what's interesting is you really don't see 
unlike the Great Recession of 08 and 09, you don't see a retraction before this this splurge. And this is way, way bigger than that period of time. So it is it is surprising. Yeah. So so in aggregate, retail did awesome. And then on, on slide five, I give you uh this fun way of looking at the data that you and I helped uh uh help help kind of evolve together. But the idea is that we give you a separate line chart for 2019, 2020, and 2021. And so you can kind of see, you know, how the, the years stack up against each other. And, and you know, in, uh, 2019 was the unaffected by the pandemic. Then 2020 happened. And, of course, there was this huge dip in April um, when the pandemic first got real for everyone because the NBA canceled games. And it recovered super quick. Um, and then, you know, the rest of 2020 was actually above 2019. So retail grew from 2019 to 2020, even though we were like right in the thick of the pandemic. And then in 2021, retail really shot up. Um, and the, the hypothesis here is there are two things that really cause this. Um, number one, uh, there was a bunch of economic stimulus that was poured into the economy, right? Like, uh, there was a lot of extra money, uh, available and consumers were in like generally really good, financial shape. So there was a lot of potential to spend. And then a lot of the things that might have gotten some of that money experiences like travel in restaurants and vacations uh, uh, were not available to most consumers. So instead of uh, paying money for a gym, you bought a Peloton. Instead of uh, going to a restaurant, you you bought groceries and instead of going on vacation, you you got new patio furniture, right? And so, you know, the combination of more money and less things to spend it on ended up being super favorable to retail overall. Yeah, that makes sense. So the it's really a factor of the stimulus uh, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll talk about the the downside of that uh, at the end of this podcast. Um, but so that's the industry average, and I would remind everyone to be cautious in thinking about averages because very few retailers experience the average, right? Like in general, there were big winners and, and losers based on categories. Um, and I'm, uh, for the purposes of the podcast, we're not going to talk about category growth or foot traffic from 2020 to 2021 because 2020 was such a weird year because of the pandemic. I actually uh, am going to jump ahead in the deck to uh, slide nine, which is where we start talking about comparing last year to 2019. So like what the cumulative changes were over the uh, from before the pandemic to, you know, uh, at the end of the second year of the pandemic. Um, so over that two year growth, um, we grew 22 percent, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and so I actually like put together a, a, a look at what the average two-year growth was every year for the last 30 years. Um, and in general, the average two-year growth is around 10 to 12%. So 22% is unprecedentedly high two-year growth. And remember, like, you know, there was in 2008, there was this recession and there was negative growth. So you'd think the, the year over year from that recession would be super high, but, but this, um, uh, uh, 2020 and 2021 year is basically the the best years of retail in our lifetime. Um, and so <laughs> then I, I go to slide 10, where I, I show you um, how fast each category grew. And remember, if the industry grew 22 percent, 
you really want to be growing faster than that 22%. So the categories that won, that grew faster than 22% uh, were your new favorite category, automobiles. Um, So they grew at 24%, which was mildly surprising to me because you, you know, early on, you would assume car sales slowed down significantly. And then, of course, there have been all these chip shortages that's made it slightly hard to buy cars. Um, Mm -hmm. And yet cars were still one of the the bright spots. Does that surprise you at all? Or were you totally dialed into that? Yeah, the counter is the used market's on fire and they're marking the cars up. So there's kind of like an inflation of car prices in there that I think is one of the reasons. So so if there is a car, dealers are taking these pretty exorbitant markups on those, um, which is kind of short-sighted, but that's what they're doing. And yeah, so so it doesn't surprise me too much. When, you know, what surprises me is where did it all... So we had this like tsunami, you know, if, if you think about retail, it's, you know, it hasn't been over, you know, like what, 10% for a long time. And then you've got in the t- two year ago comparison, you get up to maybe like 15%. So it's like a surge year, but where did it show up? Like, I can't think, you know, amongst the public companies, the Walmarts, the targets and that kind of stuff. I, I don't really see it. I don't see them just like blowing up expectations and saying, Oh my God, so much money flooded into our coffers. I kind of wonder where it where it went, or maybe it's going to show up. And you know, in when you when you chart it out, it looks like a lot of it came at the end of twenty one. So maybe we haven't seen it come out in the public markets, but it's going to be, you know, I kind of wonder where it went. Like, yeah, so I would argue that we are seeing it, like in the the big companies, in the Amazon, Walmart, Target, Kroger, um, and certainly uh, Home Depot and Dicks. We we are seeing it. Yeah, um, and yeah. so. I think the car one is a harder one to see because the car, you know, the actual car dealers are so fragmented because they're all franchisees. Um, yeah, Carvana has seen it. Carvana. Yeah. Yeah. So used car guys for sure saw it. So uh, let's come back to that in one sec. Let's talk about the other two categories that were above the industry average. Uh, uh, building materials and garden supplies, right? So that's Home Depot and Lowe's. Um, and, you know, their their two-year growth stacks were were like significantly up from previous years. And again, the part of the reason they would be up is people spent a lot more money on their homes when they were traveling less. And then, and so that category grew 30% over two years and then uh, sporting goods grew 38% over two years. Um, so that's, you know, uh, Dick's and uh, sporting goods and, and uh, uh, those folks. And they were seeing like, like I, I want to say uh, uh, the two year growth stack on Dick's would be is, is like 94% or something. So, yeah. Um, so, and then the categories that still like had by historic standards, great growth, but did not grow as fast as the industry average, uh, grocery stores. Um, so only grew 16%. I have to say that surprised me a little bit. Cause I would have, uh, expected, you know, with the hit that restaurants took that, that grocery would have outperformed the industry average. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't seem like it, it, uh, uh, it did. And then, um, uh, furnishings and, uh, furniture and home furnishings, uh, grew at 21%. So about the industry average. And again, because of all the money people spend on their homes, I kind of would have expected that to be higher. So those two things surprised me a little bit. Um, and then the, the categories that were, uh, you know, more significantly hurt by the pandemic, like, uh, um, gas and clothing, 
you know, clothing was still up 13%. Gas was up 15%. Um, and that's what hurt looks like, right? Like, so, you know, up 13% against an industry average of 22%. Like that's, you know, uh, kind of the, the low end. And, you know, I think if you talk to apparel people during the pandemic, they would have said like, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're experiencing Armageddon. If you compare this 13% growth to, you know, any of the last five or six years for apparel, this would have been a great year. Um, yeah. And then the most inexplicable to me of all, and I think it just has to do with the mix in this category, uh, is electronics and appliances are only up 6%. And I, uh, I, I'm, I'm totally open if you have a hypothesis, Scott, but like, uh, I think everybody bought a lot of extra home tech. Um, so especially at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone's buying extra computers for their kids for homeschooling and everybody's upgrading their work from home stuff. Um, and you know, over the two year, uh, course of the pandemic, you know, everybody remodeled their kitchen and bought new appliances. So I'm a little befuddled why that you know, that category is literally the bottom of the barrel in this, in the U S department of commerce data. And it's only 6% of growth. Yeah. Uh, let me look at the year. Yeah. Year. I, I have a, so uh, while you're looking, I'll just, I'll tell you like my, my unfortunate hypothesis. Uh, so there's an enormous flaw in the U S department of commerce data. And that flaw is that they call e-commerce or non-stores, a category. So you're either a apparel sale, if you sell the, the clothes through uh, uh, a store, or you're a non-store sale if you sell the clothes online. And so if you sell a TV out of Best Buy, you're a, 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 an electronic sale. But if you sell the TV online for curbside pickup, you're a non-store sale. And so uh, I didn't mention this earlier, but the category that actually grew the most by far during the pandemic is non-store sales, which are 38%. And we don't uh, have any good way to know how that breaks down by category. So my hypothesis is the electronics category actually probably did better, but the, uh, the, the it over-indexed to sales going online and therefore it gets obfuscated in in this U.S. Department of Commerce data, yeah, and then accentuating this is the supply chain problems hashtag supply pain, where you know a lot of that stuff you would go into the store for, um, especially big appliances, where you kind of want to see it and touch it and feel it before you order it. Um, I know on the order of ten people that cannot get washers and dryers, so yeah. <laughs> you know that that is all like those big appliances are are and you know and they've been waiting since you know, Q3 of last year to get these things. It's, it's insane. Um, so that, that could have, you know, so you have this kind of double edge, you know, double whammy of a lot of stuff moving online or non-store from the store and then the store struggling because they can't get inventory for those shelves. Um, and you know, every electronics item has a chip. Yeah. So I do like that. I will say it from the data, it looks like more of the, the slowdown was in uh, 2020 than 2021, which like kind of argues it like, yeah, the, uh, the attribution. Yeah. So, but I don't, I, I don't know. Um, and so then, uh, so that so far, everything we've talked about is U S department of commerce data. So I'm also super interested in how many people walked into a store. Um, so I ask our friends at placer AI, which is a, 
um, a company that uh, has access to a huge a huge panel of uh, consumers that have software on their phones and it tracks where they go anonymously. Um, and they, they, uh, use that data to, to forecast, um, uh, retail foot traffic across the country. Um, and so I, I put together a data set. So on slide, uh, 11 of the deck, uh, you, you can see how the 2021 foot traffic, uh, every month compared to, uh, 2019. And so for the first half of 2021, um, foot traffic in retail was uh, still down between 10% and 0% um, versus 2019. So fewer people were going to stores in 2021 than were going to stores before the pandemic. And then by July, uh, we had our first kind of positive growth uh, since the pandemic. So July and August were kind of up 4 and 6% over 2019, respectively. Then we had another slight dip in, in September, and then we had a pretty prominent dip in December uh, of 2021, which was probably the, the uh, Omicron variant kicking in. Um, but so in aggregate, there are still fewer people walking into brick-and-mortar stores in the United States of America in 2021 than walked into brick-and-mortar stores in 2019. Interesting. It, it almost like... It seems to be correlated in inverse correlation with case count, right? So in the summer, cases were kind of low, everyone was feeling pretty good, and then we had kind of the surge, the Omicron surge, kind of come back. And um, you know, here at the very tail end of twenty one, we saw it really plummet. Yeah, no, for sure. And there are lots of people that have been correlating these statistics to case counts or hospitalizations or or mortality or any of those things. And there, there, there are um, strong correlations. So you're certainly right. Um, so then I, I said, all right, well, let's double click on some of the categories that might be interesting. Um, and one category that I mainly double clicked on for you was automotive. Um, so for folks that don't know, automotive is the biggest category of retail spending and which kind of makes sense because it's the, the highest ticket item. Um, so $1.5 trillion in, uh, in car sales in, in 2021. Um, which is 23% of all retail spending. So we said 6.6%, uh, 6.6 trillion in retail, 1.5 trillion of it was cars. And that's up, uh, as we said earlier, 24% from 2019. Um, and then I give you kind of the, the shape of that demand, right? And, and, you know, so again, uh, uh, the best month in the history of car sales was April of 2021. And then it's been, um, t- uh, tapering off a little bit since then, but still up significantly from 2020 and 2020 was up nominally from, from 2019. So, a uh, uh, a very vibrant, uh, year, even though per your point, you know, uh, it's actually hard to get vehicles, right? So a lot of this, this increase in sales is an increase in price points and inflation versus, uh, units sold. But I think it, it is a little bit of both. Yeah. The other thing, Changes. There's a pull forward because what dealers have started doing is pre-selling vehicles. Uh, so it's almost like an auction where they'll say, you know, Jason, I know you want this um, e-Mustang and we got three coming in in August, but if you want one of those, I'm going to need you to pay me today. Now, I don't know how that correlates to these numbers, but, you know, we're seeing this big pull forward of the consumer, you know, dollars into the auto category because of this pre-sale thing where, you know, historically, it was 
you would go test drive, negotiate, and then buy the car. And it was sitting on the lot. And the inventory model is kind of flipped right now, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know, um, not, not related to the sales velocity necessarily, but another interesting thing is, um, the amount of test drives per sale is way down. Yeah. Like it used to be like three test drives per sale and now it might be less than one test drive per sale. Yeah. And it's kind of, uh, it's fun being in the auto category because some, in some ways I feel like I've seen the movie before. Right. Um, so for example, remember when Zappos came out and they disrupted the shoe category by saying free 365 returns. Well, then everyone would just buy, would say, well, sometimes I'm a, uh, an 11, sometimes an 11 and a half and 10 and a half. I'll just order all three and return two. Um, so, so then everyone had to adapt to that new model because consumers flocked to it. In the car industry, Carvana has had a seven day return for a vehicle. And that's how they got around the test drive. And everyone laughed at them and was like, why would you do that? That's ridiculous. Uh, and then the pandemic hit and everyone had to kind of adopt that model. So that's, that's gotten rid of the test drive. Most dealers now have had to adapt uh, to that, that more customer friendly model and effectively have like a seven day return window. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, you've heard me say this before, but I've been following the automotive category relatively closely and the grocery category, um, for two big reasons. They're, they're the two biggest pieces of consumer spending, but also before the pandemic, those were the two categories that were least digitally disrupted. Like a small percentage of cars were sold online, a small percentage of grocery was sold online. And so those two categories were the most disrupted by digital. They, they got the most digital fastest as a result of the pandemic. So I've been super interesting because per your point, a lot of the learnings that we've had over the last 20 years in the apparel industry and in the consumer electronics industry and the, the home industry, like are now, you know, playing out in an accelerated basis in the automobile industry and in the grocery industry. Yeah. One, uh, one cool example. And I, I know, you know, these guys, so, um, you know, I tell folks a lot about how Walmart bought jet and it was kind of like this, this analog kind of old school company building, bringing D digital DNA in. And we would see a lot of that in automotive category. And sure enough, discount tire, which is a brick and mortar tire shop, you know, um, family owned. What are they like a hundred years old or something like that? <laughs> and Nearly they just true, bought yeah. tire wreck, which is kind of the, you know, the online incumbent and they're merging those two companies together. So, um, uh, it, it's funny because everyone thinks I'm kind of a, Nostradamus of this stuff because, but it's really just the exact same thing we saw happen in e-commerce with other categories is happening in the automotive category. Groundhog day. Yeah. I, sometimes when I'm uh, impatient, I like, I really have to avoid telling clients like, um, I know you need to figure this out for yourself, but I know how it ends. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, so I mentioned the grocery category. That's the next category that I want to talk about briefly. So now we're on slide 14 of the deck. Um, and grocery is the second biggest category of consumer spending. It's 14% of all retail spending. So it's, uh, $901 billion in 2021. And, and I mentioned grocery was up pretty significantly up 16%, but, but that, you know, that is a little less than the industry average. Um, and I, I give folks that, that same kind of three year, uh, year over year graph, uh, if they want to see it. But then a bonus uh, data breakdown I always like to do for the grocery industry is on slide 16. And this is a, a, a line graph with two data points, uh, grocery store sales and restaurant sales. And what's interesting about that is for like a pretty significant period of time, about a 10-year period, 
uh, sales were split almost 50-50 between restaurants and grocery stores. So all the the uh, American calories uh, were kind of divided 50-50 between McDonald's and Applebee's and and uh, Walmart and, and Kroger. Um, and in the pandemic, exactly what you would expect happened. Uh, grocery sales shot up and restaurant sales, you know, took a nosedive. Um, over the course of the pandemic, they've moved back closer and kind of come summer of 2021, they actually came back to where they used to be. Um, so they, they were kind of level again. And we were like, huh, I wonder if that, if, if, uh, if that gap is over. Um, but then, uh, Omicron appears to have opened that gap back up. So at the moment, uh, there is still about a $10 billion a month discrepancy between spending on, on groceries and spending on restaurants. So, uh, potentially bad news for the restaurants. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't uh, know it at my restaurants. So they're, they're, they're super busy. Nice. Uh, it could be, um, you know, we, you know, uh, and it's interesting traveling around the country a little bit now. It, it's like living in 50 different countries, uh, the way their COVID policies are. So you go to, you go to Florida and, and Texas and everything's just open and normal. And then you go to the Northeast or the West Coast and, and things are very much shut down. And here in North Carolina, we're kind of in the middle, but we're still struggling. Our restaurants, you know, part of it could be that they're just closing all the time. So we have several restaurants that just can't keep their doors open due to um, this kind of constant struggle between in team members, employees and supply chain. So you'll You'll go and they'll have to close early because they didn't have anyone to work that shift. And then you'll go and they'll be like, we're out of, you know, it'll be a salad place and they'll be out of lettuce. <laughs> You're like, yeah, guests may not have needed to open, but they'll, they'll be in there with nothing to do. So, so it's really, the economy's having a really hard time. It's really kind of sputtering right now across those things, which, which could fall into restaurants and bars. You know, this looking into this year into 22, uh, there's a lot of uh, grocery stores are have bare shelves and I don't, I was going to actually, because you're the grocery guy, I don't know what's broken in the supply chain there because obviously we don't rely on China for, you know, a lot of that stuff. So it's not the, that specific thing. Um, but that seems to have really become discombobulated as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, for, for sure there, it turns out like there is for a, a fair segment of the grocery products, there is an international component, right? Like, so there are weird ingredients, uh, that we do depend a lot on, on, uh, imports for, right? So, you know, even if the Mondelez cookies are, are made in the U.S., the sugar for the Mondelez cookies is not. And so it, it is possible for the shipping to, uh, to have an impact on Oreo availability. It just, it tends to be delayed because it's 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 more the ingredient than the finished goods that that yeah. uh, is getting or the imported. Packaging. You know, maybe the package was yeah, made. Yeah, the in, CPG uh, the guys yeah. even more so, right? So a lot of the mm-hmm. chemicals uh, that get used in CPG products and a lot of the 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 packaging, like blue ink, for a while was one of the <laughs> the the constraining factors. And so you know, uh, brands did have a hard decision to make: do we like change the color of our packaging so we keep stay on the shelf, or do we, you know? Try to stay true to our brand and wait for more ink, um, which are not decisions you you imagine ever have having to make. Um, and then you know, grocery is have it's grocery is a very fragile ecosystem. Uh, margins are really thin, and so more so than other categories of retail, the wage inflation has a a major impact, and it 
it actually like there's low wage workers all the way along that supply chain. And so, uh, you know, a big thing that takes out um, domestic food is, uh, you know, there's a round of covid uh, at the meat processing uh, uh, plant. And that yeah. that can you know be a big regional hit. I walked into a breakfast place uh, last weekend, and uh, they were out of eggs. And I'm like, wait a minute, I haven't heard about an egg shortage. Are like, are we having an egg shortage? And the guy's like, no, our 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 manager just screwed up the whole order. <laughs> Dang uh, it! The one thing we can get, we messed up the order. Yeah, but I was I was with you. Like, uh, yeah, why? It's it's questionable why you open if you're a breakfast restaurant and you don't have any eggs or or you should at least put a vegan sign up or something i don't know um <laughs> so i always like to talk about apparel because uh, uh for a long time apparel is like one of the the crown jewels of the retail category and people are super excited about that and you know th- there was an era when those were the best jobs um so apparel is much smaller it's about five percent of retail sales it was 303 billion um, despite the fact that we all have been living in sweatpants for the last two years, apparel sales were still up 13%. Um, that definitely was, uh, uh mostly due to a 2022, 2021 recovery. 2020 was a really bad year for apparel. Um, and, uh, it started to come back. So apparel is one of the few categories on slide 18, where I give you the, the three year graph of the, the category. It's one of the few categories where the 2020 sales were consistently below the 2019 sales. And then 2021, they, they, they came back up to the top. Um, and, uh, you know, one interesting fact about apparel that I, I give you a data breakdown on 19, um, is, Apparel has just been getting cheaper over time. That in the 1990s, uh, apparel was 7% of retail spending. Um, and uh, now it's about 4.5% of, of retail spending. Um, and that's largely because good clothes are just less expensive. And, and you know, the same closet that an American would have had in 1990 costs less in 2022. And so uh, if you're growing in the apparel industry, you're, you're, growing in a shrinking market which is you know always a challenge to do mm-hmm. the um in chart form it's kind of shocking to see april 2020 you know touching effectively zero sales and in, in, in monthly apparel that's crazy that, yeah for most I of these graphs i change a scary I, I edit the scale to make the graph as high resolution as possible so the bottom of the mm-hmm. graph isn't zero but in apparel yeah. it absolutely is yeah it might as well be zero yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so that's enough of the categories. Uh, I know a lot of listeners on our show are particularly interested in e-commerce. So I wanted to talk about e-commerce for a minute. I mentioned the official breakdown of e-commerce, you know, we won't get for December until, uh, the middle of February. Um, we do get a, a kind of proxy for e-commerce, which is called non-store sales. It is a, it is a bigger bucket and it has more other stuff in it than just e-commerce. Um, but if I look at the 11 months of internet data and then the, the one month of non-store sales data, um, it's, it's pretty clear that we're going to come in around a trillion dollars in e-commerce sales. So if, if the official numbers work out the way I think this will be the first year that e-commerce in the U.S. is over a trillion dollars, um, that would represent 16% of retail sales. So, um, 16 doesn't sound like a huge number. But again, it just depends on what your denominator is. That 16% is, uh, you know, over all of retail, which includes, uh, cars, which 
are getting more digital, but still aren't very digital. It includes gas, which is, you know, only digital in a couple neighborhoods in San Francisco. Um, and, and so, like, you know, you start pulling out some of those traditionally non-digital categories and, uh, you know, that $1 trillion represents about, you know, between 20 and 25% of all the categories that, that, uh, you know, people are, are willing to buy online. And so it's, it's become a very meaningful mix. And obviously it, it was the fastest growing because of the pandemic. Um, but in slide 21, I, I show you the, the, the three year breakdown. And the thing that's unique about e-commerce versus some of these other categories is e-commerce had its monster growth in 2020. So the two-year growth numbers are still amazing, but the one-year growth numbers from 2021 to 2020 are not so great because we're comping against a monster year. And it's it's been interesting because like Shopify stock is down because their comps aren't very good, right? Mm-hmm. But really they're, you know, they're they're comping against these monster numbers. Um you know, uh, lots of, of retailers are calling me right now and they're in a panic because they're not, they, they didn't hit their goals and their, their, you know, numbers are wrong. And I'm like, uh, I mean, they're, you know, their numbers are soft. And I'm like, well, but let's look at where, what really happened. Like you, you had unprecedented growth over the last two years. Um, and you're, you know, you potentially aren't, aren't thinking about it in the right way. Um, so on slide 22, I give you my, entire story of the world going digital in one slide. And it's a little hard, hard to follow. But basically what I show you is I show you the brick and mortar sales every year or every quarter. And then on top of that, I show you the e-commerce sales. So you can see the e-commerce growing. You can see kind of as a portion of retail what it is. And then I show you the rate of growth for for retail and e-commerce. And until the pandemic, we had a pretty consistent story. E-commerce was growing at like between 15 and 20% a year and brick and mortar was growing at three to 4% a year. And that was pretty reliable. Um, so then the pandemic happens and brick and mortar shrinks for a quarter and e-commerce explodes by, you know, over 40%. Um, and since that time, they've been coming back. And so for the first time in my lifetime, um, in Q2 of 2021, Brick and mortar actually grew faster than e-commerce for the first time ever, largely because of the, you know, they're, they're comping against these, these, uh, uh, you know, huge, huge, uh, uh, March of, of 2020. Um, and, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see when the data comes out next month, but I have a feeling we're regressing pretty quickly now back to the kind of the, the pre-pandemic rates of growth. Like we absorbed all this big e-commerce growth for two years. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, I kind of think we're going to see e-commerce level back down to that 10 to 15% growth every quarter and, and retail drop back down to the four or 5% growth a quarter. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, I think the silver lining for me is, and I'm the e-commerce guy here is we had the surge and then we actually did kind of even better than the surge. And, you know, you could have painted a story that said this will kind of flip negative for a year or two as it kind of the subsides and then then we get back to normal. So so, you know, the the rising tide kind of stuck and, and created a new high and then we, we, we've continued to grow from there. Yeah. How does um, and I know this this uh, agitates you, which is why I bring it up. But, you know, uh, this this does not support, you know, that theory out there that we pulled forward like five years of e-commerce. 
Yeah, no, uh, we it, it, we didn't, and most of the evidence now is um, that uh, we're we're not even way ahead of where we would have been. That like like we we uh, we got the sales early, but that that uh, that that future growth is. Um, slightly slower as a result so that like uh five or ten years from now um you know we'll see this this blip on the graph but we'll kind of you know end up at the same same place we would have ended up without the the pandemic is is most people's projections um that's less too true in some of these digitally immature categories like grocery or um or automobiles where we really did probably pull in you know kind of accelerate two to three years into the future um, and so I did on slide 23, I give you the, the, our estimates of the, uh, 2021 e-commerce sales for a bunch of retailers. Cause I'm often surprised people, um, don't necessarily have, uh, the, the, the best perception about how the relative size of all these retailers. So these estimates come from eMarketer. Um, their, their GMV US estimate for Amazon is on the high side of all the estimates I, I look at, but they have uh, 2021 uh, GMV for Amazon at about 376 billion. Um, Walmart's the second largest e-commerce site by a lot at 60 billion, so quite a bit smaller than Amazon. But until recently, eBay would have been the second biggest site, and Walmart's approaching twice as big as eBay now. So they have shot past eBay um, to to get to 60 billion. eBay's at 38 billion. Apple is at 37 billion and like people, people forget how big a, a player Apple is alone. I saw a funny stat that like if, if, uh, uh, the AirBuds alone, the AirPods alone were a, a company, like it would be the 10th largest company. <laughs> yeah. That's um, crazy. Yeah. And so then you get like, uh, uh, Home Depot is almost 20 billion targets, eight, almost 19 billion. Best Buy is, um, you know, is over 16 billion. Um, Costco, who's the bane of my existence, Costco, like pays the least attention to digital. Um, they, they, you know, always talk about how unimportant digital is and how they don't like it. Um, and I tell everyone what a horrible mistake that is. And then Costco continues to excel and, and despite not trying, they sell $14 billion a year online. Hmm. Um, so then you, you could see the rest of the, the top 15, uh, on that slide on, on, uh, um, slide 23 if you're interested, but it's, it's interesting to understand the, the relative, uh, size of, of some of these companies. Um, and so then, uh, you know, one of the things that people always ask about is what did holiday look like particularly? So the next section of this deck is, um, a, a double click on, on holiday 2021. And so, uh, I'm defining holiday as November and December sales. That's somewhat controversial because there's a lot of different ways to think about it. But if we just look at November and December sales, uh, this holiday period was uh, the the largest retail uh, holiday ever. Um, and it grew about 16.1%, um, which is vastly faster growth than any other holiday. Like the next biggest holiday was 10%. So so kind of the same story for the whole year we we get in holiday. It was a monster holiday. Um, you know, again, it depends a little bit on how you define retail. NRF likes to pull gas out of their number. So they're, they're, they would say holiday was 14% growth, um, which is still a, a monster number. Um, 
So I, then I went back to our friends at Placer AI and said, hey, what does foot traffic look like uh, every week of holiday? Um, and uh, that to me was kind of interesting. Uh, so, you know, December foot traffic was down overall, I'll remind you, because of Om- Omicron. But if we kind of look at the the weekly data for holiday, um, foot traffic was actually up versus 2019 Uh leading into the Thanksgiving weekend. And so then the weekend that was way down was Thanksgiving weekend. Way less people went to stores on Black Friday um, than went to uh, stores in uh, 2019, about 6% less. Um, and then, you know, the rest of holiday was slightly above. So if if it weren't for the decline in Black Friday traffic, I would say foot traffic in retail was up about 2% um, over 2019. But that Black Friday dip pulled the whole thing down uh, to where we still aren't aren't back to 2019 levels. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things uh, that is a common narrative about holiday, and I've even contributed to this narrative, is, man, retailers are really trying to pull sales in and holidays starting earlier in October and, you know, holidays flattening. It's less about these big spikes on, on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Um, and so now that we have real data, I'm like, oh, well, let's see how how that really held up. And the first thing to know is the early sales in October was kind of a myth. Like there, there was not an unusual spike in sales in October. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, it, it, uh, there was not a huge success in pulling sales into October. And so then, uh, what I did is I, I went to similar web, which similar web has a data set of e-commerce site visits. Um, and what I like about that is, we can get much more accurate granular data than we can on like foot traffic or, you know, foot traffic, we're lucky to get weekly data, but for e-commerce, we can get a daily number of sessions or unique visitors or things like that. So I said, Hey, let's take the hundred biggest e-commerce sites in the U S and let's see total visits and let's compare 2019 with 2021. And the first thing to remember is, you know, uh, Thanksgiving doesn't fall on the same day every year. And so what I did is I normalized those. I said, let's not do November 1st through December 31st. Let's do the 25 days before Black Friday and the 32 days after Black Friday so that we could kind of match up the, the flow. And what you'll see is there was a lot more traffic on e-commerce sites every day of holiday in 2021 than 20, than 2019 um, except for two days, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And on Black Friday and Cyber Monday, 2021 was still above 2019, but they were nearly the same. And so the, I, I guess what this would say is this partially bears out our, 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 um, hypothesis. Uh, e-commerce visits did level out, like the, the traffic did get spread out to the whole 60 days more than ever before, but those, those two tent poles are still tent poles and they still are by far the, the busiest days. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I definitely, you know, think that the narrative that like those tent pole days don't matter anymore is, is kind of a misnomer. And they, you know, they, they got nearly twice as many visits as a normal uh, holiday day. Did that surprise you at all? No. Okay. The surge in the chart in 21 is interesting at the end. I think that's my procrastinator people. Yeah. That's me. So, so yeah. That's so where so I what shop. Scott's talking about is the, <laughs> the gap between 2019 and 2020 is pretty consistent, but then opens up the most, uh, it ever has, 
um, on the very end of the holiday. And my hypothesis for that is, again, this is e-commerce. It's Omicron again. So there was pent up demand to go to stores. People were going to stores. Store traffic was going up and then store traffic fell off a cliff the last half of December as people started getting nervous. And so I think that uh, you know, drove more people to e-commerce again is my, at least is my hypothesis. And so, uh, so that I think is a super interesting data set. I definitely am, uh, grateful to, uh, to have access to the similar web stuff. And while I was diving into their data, I also, uh, one of the cool things there is we can see traffic on individual websites. So I said, uh, well, let's see who's, who the winners and losers are in terms of traffic. Um, and the story here is, the 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 traffic is disproportionately going to the the big high uh performing sites so um you know not surprisingly uh, a- uh amazon gets the most traffic um but they also got the biggest chunk of traffic growth so sometimes you'd say hey the biggest most established player it should be the hardest to grow amazon grew its traffic faster than any other top 10 retailer um which is pretty impressive um, and then the next biggest grower was Walmart. So this is kind of the story of the rich getting richer um, and, you know, uh, traffic and sales consolidating on the those those very biggest sites, which is kind of the story you see on slide 29 if you're following along on the deck. The thing that fascinates me about this data is you have like Etsy with the fourth most traffic, but then they're like one of the smaller e-commerce sites, right? So yeah, does that... Yeah, does that mean no? Well, that's apples and oranges, I guess. That's all of retail in the in the previous comparison. Sorry, uh, yeah, no, that was um, Etsy's. Uh, uh, e- e- Etsy's e-commerce sales are about a little less than eight billion in the U.S. versus like Walmart at sixty billion. Um, yeah, but then uh, Etsy does have uh, like like nearly as much traffic as Walmart, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, the. Uh, I want to say they did uh, 600 million uh, visits uh, over the holiday period versus Walmart did like 1.1 billion. So, so, you know, despite Walmart being 10 times as large, they only had twice as much traffic. Um, And I think part of the reason for that is the, the um, kind of thin long tail nature of Etsy um, means that their overall conversion rate and the amount of you know pay, uh, visits you have to do to find what you want is um, is higher than than it is on Walmart, where you, you're more likely to go to Walmart with with high purchase intent for a particular item. And these days, it's pretty easy to find that item and get out. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and that kind of is borne out. Uh, eBay is still the second largest traffic site, even though they're they're shrinking. And again, eBay's almost half the size of Walmart, but eBay's traffic is still higher than Walmart's. Yeah, it's a huge. It's kind of sad in one way, but it's a huge opportunity if eBay could get their act together and convert that traffic the way Walmart is. They could, yeah. If know, if I could read our win. our predictions episode, so you know, I talked about in. Uh, a number of times on this that one of the big trends is is retail media networks and you know people selling ads um what this data set uncovers more than anything else is the untapped opportunities etsy needs to uh get a retail media network up as soon as possible because i mm-hmm. as far as i know they don't have one yeah so they should be monetizing that traffic because that that uh that that's a valuable asset they're not they're not leaning into yet um for all our our etsy listeners uh so then I will just say, and this is, you know, the curmudgeon in me, um, 
During holiday, we talk a lot about these estimates from companies, right? So Adobe, you know, uh, you know, we have on this show and they give us their real time estimates based on, on all the customers they see. Uh, we have Salesforce on the show every year and they give us real time estimates. And then, you know, when we talk about that, I don't think we've had on the show is MasterCard has this product called, uh, Spending Pulse, which is kind of a anonymous aggregated, um, view of all the people that buy stuff with MasterCard. And, uh, I, uh, just, just, uh, for interest, um, Adobe MasterCard and Salesforce all agree, um, that, that e-commerce grew about 10%, uh, in, uh, in holiday nine or 10% in holiday of 2021. And that passes the smell test. Again, we don't have the e-commerce data for, for December yet. So I, I don't really know, but that, that feels like the right order of magnitude. So I think, you know, these guys all credibly predicted um, the shape of holiday e-commerce. But the only one of these guys that predicts brick and mortar is MasterCard, right? Adobe and Salesforce are pure online retailers. And um, every year, I always get weird data from MasterCard. And I say this because the whole the whole world, and especially the media, like publish this MasterCard data far and wide and, and treat it as facts. Um MasterCard, like on December 26th, said that uh, retail sales were going to be up uh, uh, 8.5%. And that that meant they were going to be up 10.7% versus 2019. Um, And so uh, we now know from the U.S. Department of Commerce data that that they were off by 50%. Um, So just uh, a call out to to my friends at MasterCard that I'd be curious to understand what's going on there from my category thing. Yeah. From my seat. Well, they, they argue it's not, but from my seat, they're consistently off on the brick and mortar numbers. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious. Um, and so then I, I, every time I have this conversation with a, a a colleague or a client, the, um, and especially someone that maybe doesn't live and breathe e-commerce every day, as soon as you start talking about this monster growth number, what everyone asks, um, is, yeah, Jason, but how much of that is inflation, right? Because the, the thing we hear about in the media the most, um, is, is, uh, inflation, inflation, inflation. And so, you know, it, it stands to reason if, you know, if something grew by 10% and people are paying more, you know, 10% more for everything, then, um, that explains it. And this, you know, that this is an inflation story, not a, a growth and consumer demand story. And so I, I like to put in, uh, just a little kind of inflation picture at the end. Um, the, so I give, I give folks a graph of, of, uh, uh, the, the government, um, uh, inflation numbers for, for, for these three years. And, and what you can see is that like for most of the pandemic, inflation, um, kind of stayed in the normal range. And then we, we started this, this huge climb, not until January of 2021. So if you remember, like all a lot of this growth we're talking about was 2020 growth. Inflation doesn't explain that growth at all. Um, there is significant inflation in all of 2021, and it's it's historically high. Um, it's uh, you know depending on how you want to count, it it could be a 40 year high. And so it finished in December uh, at seven percent. And so if you figure normal inflation is is about one one and a half percent inflation was already high before the pandemic at 2.3 percent um you know if if you say all right it should have been at 2.3 percent and it's at seven percent then you could say that the the kind of 
back half of 2021 sales that, you know, that that uh, three or four percent of it can be explained by inflation, but definitely not this 22 percent we're talking about. Um, and I don't know if you've been thinking about or talking about the inflation a lot. It's kind of it's it's uh, it's kind of funny because I always like to remind people the long term picture. We're all paying way less for goods than we ever did before. So I kind of pull this 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 uh, 20 year uh, inflation number to, to remind people that like we're paying 50 percent for apparel what we paid 20 years ago. We're paying 30 percent less for personal uh, products and beauty products. We're paying 17 percent less for cars. We're paying 12 percent less for food. All the tangible stuff we buy is getting cheaper because we're getting better at making it. And where the American family's budget is going is to services, right? So, um, you know, the American family is having to pay way less for hard goods and food and way more for housing, education and healthcare. And that's the big macro picture. Um, but then we've, we've had like the, we talked about a lot of the growth in retail coming from all this economic stimulus. The, the downside of that economic stimulus is, um, it, it, it actually is one of the contributing factors to inflation, right? Like that people have more money to spend. Um, they buy more. The supply chain wasn't prepared for that buy more. And so we have, uh, a supply chain disruption. And so now you have supply going down and demand going up. And what do people do in a rational market when they, they have high demand and low supply? They, they charge more. Um, and, uh, so then, you know, people say, Hey, everything I buy is more expensive. I need to get paid more. And we have this unprecedented leverage that workers have right now because of the labor shortage. So they're all negotiating better prices. Um, and guess what that means? They can afford to pay more again. And, and manufacturers are, are, uh, you know, having more costs of labor for making stuff. So they're charging more. And what's been super interesting in all this is, um, you know, it's kind of an excuse for manufacturers to charge more. Like most of these manufacturers that are raising their prices are also setting record profits. So it's not like true that like all of this inflation is manufacturers passing costs on to consumers. It's a little bit of the, the, you know, opportunity of the moment, if you will. Yep. It's complicated. So the inflation, a lot of it's gas. Um, and then, you know, to your point, a lot of it's stuff that ha- doesn't have this inherent deflationary element to it, like uh, healthcare. You know, we're paying more and more for healthcare, education, um, anything that has a service component is shooting way up. But even, even in the short term, though, like, yeah, everything at the grocery store is insane right now. It's crazy. Yeah. And food and gas are historically more volatile. So inflation goes up and down more. Like, side note, you have to take all these numbers with a grain of salt because the way they measure it is they they measure the cost of a basket of goods that an average American bought, but they built the basket of goods in like 1945. And so it's not the right basket of goods for today. Yeah. Um, there's no iPhone in that basket. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so it, it's interesting. Uh, fun. It's fun for me because I'll actually uh, be on Good Morning America this weekend talking about inflation. Um, but nice. uh, yeah, yeah, always fun. Um, but uh, yeah, I I'm with you. If you you take what's called core inflation, where you pull gas and food out, inflation's like four point five percent. So for most of these retail categories, um, it's part of the story. But it, it definitely would be a mistake to discount all this growth and say, oh, it's just inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my scoop. That's your 36 slide deck, uh, that you're all welcome to grab and use. Uh, my thanks to all the, the data providers that contributed to all of it. So I, I have a, 
a, a, a bibliography at the end. So if you're interested in starting to track any of this data on your own, I, I tried to make that easy for you. Yeah. And when we do, when we post the show, we'll also try to get it on our socials because I've had some people say they can't find the show notes. And um, so we'll make sure that we, we disseminate this wide and uh, so that everyone has it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Scott, uh, we uh, not surprisingly, we were able to perfectly fill up an hour with this one topic. Um, so hopefully you found value in this. As, as Scott mentioned at the top of the show, if you did, we sure would appreciate that five-star review. Uh, but thanks, everyone, for kind of following along on this like pretty dry, difficult data dump uh, episode. I hope, I hope it was useful. Please uh, give us feedback if you liked it or, or if it was not the right format. People love data and Retail Geek delivers. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to the Jason and Scott show for all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing. Subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 